Um, well, I had a phrase that uh, I, I like, and I used to say it a lot as a parent uh, when uh, my lads were uh, younger, and uh, Joel may uh, have good or bad memories of it, but I, I said it so often that unfortunately it lost its effect, and they would say it before the right moment. Uh, the f- yeah. This is the phrase, do you want to be part of the problem or part of the solution? And I forget where I heard it, but I thought it was such a brilliant concept. And so whenever things were kicking off in the family, uh, I would go, do you want to be part of the problem or do you want to be part of the solution? And they would roll their eyes at me. Um, But I do think it's a really important concept. In our world, there is so much conflict so much hurt, so much damage. Do you want to be part of the problem or part of the solution? Or cartoon. Uh, I can't believe how much I like that movie, she says. And he thinks to himself, oh no. In my opinion, it's totally different. I actually don't think I've ever hated anything more than that thing she is talking about. Have you ever had that experience where you suddenly discover the person you thought you completely are at one with, you completely agree with, and they say something and you go, how on earth could they think that? I should say something. And he says, you know what I think? Now, what would you do? Would you say, how on earth can you like that? That film is rubbish. How on earth could you like that film? I think it's great. Uh, But it made you so happy. Me too, thanks. We'll talk about responding to conflict. And I want to uh, uh, talk about whether you are in, in one of these three situations. The first is that you feel let down and therefore angry because you have discovered that you disagree with somebody. Somebody who thought, believed everything you believe and then you suddenly discover they think this. If that's your experience, I hope what we're going to look at is going to help you. Second experience is that you feel incredibly angry at the way someone else is being treated. And you see an injustice. And it's really winding you up. Perhaps a little bit more even than the person who is the victim of that injustice. You are really angry on their behalf. It might be an individual. It might be a group of people. It might be a political issue. It might be something. And you're very upset at the injustice or the way you feel someone's being treated. How do we respond to that situation? And thirdly, maybe you are experiencing aggression towards you. And you're thinking, this doesn't feel right or safe or justified. Why is someone so angry with me? I was meant to have finished John uh, years ago. And uh, normally I do uh, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, term by term, alternating between the two, moving on to the next thing. But for reasons I can't really explain, I've just wanted to stay in John's gospel. But um, we are going to finish John, I hope, this term. And part of the reason that I'm attracted to John for the moment is that this is, we're into Easter. 
And it appeals to me to talk about that while we're still thinking about Christmas because I don't like talking about Christmas and Easter at Christmas and Easter because when you talk about Christmas at Christmas, nobody's listening. When you talk about Easter at Easter, nobody's listening. But hopefully the impact of Easter will come now more as we think about it during Christmas or New Year or whatever. That may, may not make sense to you, but it's sense in my logic. Um, so we're going to look at uh, John chapter 18 and three responses to conflict. We're going to talk in the main about Judas. I also need to say that this morning I made a number of quite serious mistakes in the talk, which I'm quite glad wasn't recorded. Um, so hopefully this is going to be better. It's had a rewrite uh, to, make, to iron out the issues that were wrong with this morning. Because if you see people this morning, uh, from this morning, and that was weird. What was Donald talking about? You can say, ah, but in the evening... Um, anyway, I'm going to talk about Judas. I'm going to talk quite a lot about Judas because, and I did say this this morning, and I saw a lot of ho horror, and I, I, I'm going to say the same thing to you, but see there's a horror. I like Judas. Identify with Judas. I think Judas is underrated. I think people have got the wrong end of the stick on Judas. I'm going to explain that because I know some of you are deeply horrified at the thought of that. Uh, but Jesus, Judas discovers something about Jesus he doesn't like. And we're going to talk a little bit less about Peter, who is really angry on behalf of Jesus. Now, this is all happening in the, the, the garden as Jesus is arrested. So we're talking about the, the, the Thursday night before Easter, uh, Maundy Thursday. After the Last Supper, they've come after the prayer. We talked about it in John 17 before Christmas. Uh, and we're going to look at the events that happen. And we'll explore just a little bit about Jesus and how he handles aggression and anger from others. So let's talk about Judas. John 18, when Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. And his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, now, John, uh, in fact, all the disciples, uh, sorry, all the gospel writers, but Judas, uh, John particularly, they, they, they can't just say Judas. They have to tell us that he was the one who betrayed him. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And uh, I want to ask the question, how had he got to this place of conflict? How had this occurred? We're going to use some of the other Gospels and try and build a picture of Judas and what happened and why he responds and what we might learn from that. So uh, we discover, I think, that Judas disagreed with Jesus. It all starts with a series of events where... Uh, a woman comes and uh, washes or, or bathes Jesus with a perfume, a really expensive perfume. And uh, she worships Jesus. And the disciples who are around there at the time are quite uncomfortable, partly because it was a very expensive perfume. And, and they, they talk about her having wasted money that could have been given to the poor. And also, he accepts this worship. And in, rather than siding with them and telling this woman off, he allows it to happen. When we looked at this in John a few months ago, uh, we just talked about the remarkable, horrifying thing. If, if you just, and I've said this a number of times when we talk about this story, these stories, and there's a couple of events like this, and, and you need to, to work out how you would feel. But if somebody came up now and started to anoint me with perfume and to bow before me and to kiss my feet, 
you would hope and expect me to go, please don't do that. I'm not worthy of worship. I'm not God. And so you can understand the real unease when he says she's done a beautiful thing. Because we would all be creeped out by that. At least I hope you would. I hope you'd get me sacked for it if I accepted that. And Jesus is saying to these guys, I am not an ordinary person. And, and, and what these women have encountered and uncovered is my divinity, and they're treating me as a god. And he says that what she has done is beautiful. And we read these words, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him. Now, there are different ways of understanding this, and Christians take different points of view. It's clear that there's, around this moment from the Gospels that Judas allows Satan to get hold of his heart, and it becomes twisted, and he changes sides. Earlier in John's Gospel, and I admitted this this morning, and I was grateful to a number of people who pointed this out to me. Earlier in John's Gospel, a similar event is unfolding. And the same thing happens. And John says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. And there are different ways of understanding what's going on. Some people would say that perhaps Jesus called Judas, all, and all the time he was a bad egg, and all the time he was dishonest, and all the time he was a thief. And that's a perfectly possible way of understanding these passages. But I guess I lean towards a man who becomes disillusioned with Jesus, who he feels is wasting money, and so he starts perhaps, and maybe, and I accept, maybe I'm overplaying Judas, but he starts to take the money and use it in a different way. He starts to take it for himself. Because my perception of Judas is he was an idealist. And he believed, as many of the early uh, disciples and followers of Jesus did, that he believed that Jesus was going to throw out the Romans and change the world and be good news to the poor and everything would be great. And he disagrees with Jesus. And he's disappointed by him. And he's disillusioned by him. And he changes sides. What are you willing to give me? He goes to the authorities if I deliver him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. He changes sides. Now, this is where I think Judas gets a bad rap. He does not crucify Jesus. I know I'm in real dodgy thin ice because people are going to go away and say, our sermon was about Donald telling us how Judas was a good guy. But he doesn't crucify Jesus. We all crucify Jesus. If we'd have been in the crowd, we'd have shouted for Barabbas. It is our sin that puts Jesus on the cross. 
What Judas does is he stops protecting him. He changes sides. He now wants Jesus punished because he disagreed with him. And it's caused a set of events. It's made him dishonest. It's made him cheat on Jesus. It's made him take that money. It's made him want him punished. He helps the enemies of Jesus rather than prevents them. They were going to arrest him anyway. And they were going to work out who he was. They just, he just made it slightly easier for them. But he also hurt Jesus. And we see that in the way the Last Supper unfolds, the way Jesus uh, tells him to go and do what he's going to do, and the way he delivers, uh, uh, where Jesus gives him uh, the bread and the cup. You see the pain of Jesus. That here is someone who he loved, who he had called, who he'd said, come and follow me, and who has chosen something different because Jesus, in his eyes, let him down, and he was disappointed and he abandons Jesus. He tells the authorities, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. There's a, there's a great pain, isn't there, about this moment. He doesn't just say, he's over there. He says, I will go right up to him and I will greet him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And if we go back to John, because this detail is coming from the other gospel, we go back to John. Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And then something very strange happens. Jesus said, I am he. And notice that John wants us to know that Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. Why is that important? Because when Jesus said, I am he, they, which I assume includes Judas, drew back and fell to the ground. Now, why do they fall to the ground? Most people... Who, who, who study this, I believe that there is a dramatic supernatural encounter with God that occurs. Because if you, you, you may know that right at the beginning of God's in dealing with humanity through Moses, Moses says, who are you? And God passes by Moses and says, uh, what's, and Moses says, what's your name? And he doesn't say Donald or Harry. or, or He says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And that I am phrase, we, would, we understand, uh, 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 we, we say it now, we don't know how it was said, but we say Yahweh. And John particularly quotes Jesus often kind of sounding like it. I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth. And it seems quite a deliberate thing that Jesus is doing. He's kind of hinting at the name of God. And so when he says, I am he, which is a slightly odd way of saying it, he is kind of saying Yahweh. It sounds very similar. And so a lot of the scholars think that there is a, a, a theophany, there is a moment, and the presence of God is so tangible when he's saying, I am, almost I am God, that they fall. 
and they encounter the power of God. Now, I admit that I have a soft spot for Judas because I just think he gets badly criticised. So I, there is a different way of understanding all of this, which is fine. But what happens in Matthew 27? When Jesus, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And I tend to think that encounter with God had been part of that. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. I think Jesus, a Judas is very like Peter. Peter betrays Jesus. Peter runs away, denies Jesus, messes up. There's a really important difference. That the moment that Judas, that Peter realizes what a sinner he is, and Jesus calls him, he gets out of the boat and runs to Jesus and throws himself at his feet. And Judas doesn't wait. He runs and kills himself before he gets to the end. He is a person of despair and brokenness because he knows he's done wrong. I like to think we will meet Judas in heaven because he repented. He said, Lord, I'm sorry. And the only reason I'll be in heaven is because of saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't think he needed to take his own life. He needed to wait for the revelation of grace in his life. So, Judas's response, uh, you may take a different view, that's absolutely fine, but some things to learn from this. He has premature disappointment and disillusionment. He is angry, he changes sides, he starts to take money for himself, he becomes bitter, And then he has this, I think, encounter with God, and then he realizes that he's done wrong. The reason is all along he's rushed too quickly. He needed to wait and learn more about Jesus. It's a lot easier to say you're angry than to admit you're hurt. He got angry instead of saying, Jesus, you've disappointed me. I thought you cared for the poor. I thought you would set the prisoners free. You said you were going to be good news to the poor. I thought you were going to do all these things, and you haven't. You've accepted this woman's worship. It's a lot easier to get angry than to say, that hurt me. We'll lash out rather than be vulnerable and honest. Maybe that's what's going on. He certainly misunderstands Jesus. He misunderstands what Jesus is about, who he is, and what he's doing. And he doesn't wait for an explanation. He rushes in with his judgment that Jesus is wrong. And he changes sides because he thinks that Jesus is doing the wrong thing. And the greatest remedy for anger is delay. To wait. And he judges rather than trusts. And that judgment, that bitterness, that anger, that resentment corrupts him. 
Our culture has accepted two lies. This is a quote from Rick Warren, which I've used a number of times. I think it's really, really helpful. Our culture has accepted two lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. And Judas disagreed with something that Jesus did, and he throws the whole of Jesus out with it. Everything about Jesus is wrong, and I'm against him because of something I don't understand is why he's done that. And the second, says Rick Warren, is to love someone means you have to agree with everything they believe or do. And Jesus commands us to love our enemies, which means we love people we don't agree with, we don't like, and who are difficult. But our culture says that if someone's in the other camp, the other side, they're, they're against us, then we hate everything about them and we exclude them. And we push, and our society is riven with division and camps and groups. And our whole social media uh, algorithms fuel us to get more and more angry with the people who are different to us and the people who do see things differently. And Rick Warren says, both these views are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And in his anger, he then justifies this wrong behavior and he starts to steal, it would seem. Because he's got angry, it's okay to steal from Jesus because Jesus is wrong. And he acts rashly and later regrets it. And so much, he doesn't just think that was a bad idea, he takes his own life. He takes his own life because he is completely consumed with the stupidity of what he has done. He is completely devastated when he realizes the horror of what he's been involved in. Let's go back to John 18, and we'll come back and brawl us all together in a moment. We'll, a little bit less on Peter. Again, Jesus asked them, what do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. These happened to fulfill the words that spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Jesus wants those who are with him to be safe. He doesn't want the other disciples hurt or damaged. He wants them to be released. He wants them to go. He says, let the other guys go. Let Peter and John and Andrew and Bartholomew, whoever is with me, let them go. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it out and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. This is a memorable little guy. I don't know, he might have been a big guy, memorable big guy. He has his ear cut off. Peter stands up. Peter is angry. These guys have come to arrest Jesus, and we love Jesus. So we're going, I'm going to, I need to, to, to do something. I need to get involved. I need to defend Jesus. I need to, Jesus is just standing there, and I need to, to, to and he's so angry about it that he gets out of sword and he starts slashing at this guy. He's trying to protect him. But he's wrong. Jesus commands him, put your sword away. Stop it. This isn't about violence. This isn't about aggression. This isn't about defending me. And the reason, I think, is because, and well, a number of reasons, but partly is because Peter is escalating. He's making it bigger. He's making it worse. 
He's now causing damage and threat to the other side. Now, what happens when, that, when, when we upset is the hurt is being multiplied. Instead of one person being hurt, Jesus, now we've got a guy who's had his ear cut off. The chances are that those who care for the guy who's had his ear cut off, they're going to draw their swords because they're flipping angry. This guy's had his ear cut off. And so they're going to start slashing at the disciples. And so Peter has drawn something that was just going to be quiet into a huge, big battle and fight. And he's causing hurt. He's increasing the anger. He's making it bigger. And it's not even his fight. They've come to arrest Jesus. He misunderstands the mission. Because Jesus says, look, I need to let this happen. He says, I need to drink the cup the Father has given me. In other words, I need to go through what is about to happen. This is to happen. Luke tells us uh, that uh, he says, no, that Jesus says no more of this. And he touches the man's ear and heals him. Here is Jesus in the moment of betrayal, kissed by someone who was meant to be on his side, but as an act of betrayal, he is concerned about the guy on the other side who's been hurt, and he heals him. No more of this. No more conflict. No more anger. No more escalation. No more getting our own back. Let's stop. Let's stop the tit for tat, the revenge. We've seen enough in, in our world. We see it in, in the Ukraine and the Balkans, we've seen it in Northern Ireland, we see it in nations where centuries of revenge and bitterness are held onto. And Jesus says, no more, put your swords away. This is to stop. So Peter's response to disagreement is to get too angry on behalf of others. And sometimes people at the very center of wrongdoing are less angry than the people who are one step removed. Parents, we get more angry when our kids get hurt than when we get hurt. Storm down the school. How dare you speak to my little Herbert like that? Partners, we get really angry when our partner, we feel, is being mistreated. We get really angry when our friend, we feel, is being... And partly, it's because as they tell us their story, we feel that we need to fix it, we need to do something. And as we hear a story of pain and difficulty, something within it, because we can't just sit and listen to it, we've got to go out and do something. We've got to go out and make it better. But the thing is we make it worse. And very often, the very people at the center are calmer than the people around. Sometimes telling the story to somebody else makes the individual feel better. But instead of it creating peace, the person who's heard it is now worse and goes out and fights. Maybe not with a sword, but words, actions. And Peter doesn't care about this guy he's hit with the sword. He doesn't see him as a son, somebody's son or somebody's brother or maybe somebody's father or husband. Somebody to lash out at with his anger. And when we lash out in anger, we do not care for the people who get caught in the collateral, who get hurt. And he believes that force is a solution. 
Making somebody do what we want is the answer. And it isn't. It doesn't work. We wouldn't have wars if it worked. Forcing people to conform and comply to what we want doesn't work. And Jesus uses a completely radical approach. He talked to them and not about it. He said, I want you to love your enemy. If they, want, if they take your uh, coat, give them another. If they want you to walk for a mile carrying their stuff, walk another mile. If they smack you on the face, turn the other cheek. Let them smack the other side. Jesus talks about a completely different way of giving way to transform people. Of submitting And he's going to model it in the next few verses. He models it now. Because we actually change people with gentleness and mercy and grace, not with anger and violence and aggression. And so Jesus is different. He focuses on the desired outcome. He wants to lay down his life as a sacrifice for each one of us not on the argument of the moment. He accepts the injury to himself for a greater good. He doesn't perceive his own rights within this. He's not trying to defend himself. He's only concerned about his disciples and those who are arresting him. He wants everybody else to be okay. And if that means he gets hurt, that's okay. And he cares for those who seek to hurt him. And he says, no more of this. No more of this. He returns aggression with gentleness. And he uses his power to de-escalate. He heals. He puts the ear back on. No wonder they remembered his name, Malchus. He had an ear chopped off and then put back on again. That was fairly memorable. Then a detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and they bound him. A little cartoon uh, to uh, help us as we go into our final section. Come on, uh, Lucy. This is Charlie Brown. He's the manager of the baseball team. Come on, Charlie Brown. Uh, Come on, Charlie. Lucy, Charlie Brown says, come on, Lucy. Hit it. Please hit it. Strike two and she misses. Strike three and she misses. And Charlie Brown says, good grief. She struck out again. That's three times so far I should say something to her. After all, I'm the manager. That's what he's thinking. But then he thinks, but if I say one word, she'll blow sky high. She's so mad, she's ready to bust. I don't dare make a sound. And then he says, "Uh uh-oh, my throat's getting dry. I've got to clear my throat. But if I make just the slightest sound, she'll think I'm going to say something to her. But I've got to clear my throat. And he begins to cough and gulp. And and, and he's in real trouble. And eventually he goes, and she blows. How do we handle conflict? How do we say the right thing? What do we do? 
I want to just draw these things to a conclusion. A few things. Firstly, we need to be people who wait for understanding or explanation. Don't be like Judas and rush in with an anger, change sides, take, extrapolate, and then regret it. Let's wait. Where might there be time for us to wait? Maybe we've judged someone. Maybe we, under, we think we know and we don't. Can we wait? My way is not your way, but it is always possible that we may both be wrong. Do all we can to keep relationship. If you want to go back to just before Christmas, we talked about unity, the prayer that Jesus has prayed in the garden. The biggest thing that he wants is that people would be one. It's a priority. And so where we're breaking relationship quickly because we're taking sides or we're angry or we're causing hurt, we need to pull back and say, this is not the way of Jesus. I need to do it differently. We need to be careful not to be too angry for others. So where might we be overreacting? Where might we just be too cross? And we need to pull it back. We need to calm things down rather than inflame. We need to put the sword away. We need to hear Jesus saying, enough. Stop it. Stop getting angry. And maybe we need to recognize where we're winding people up, where we're escalating, where we're going around talking, where we're posting, where we're tweeting, where we're uh, getting our view out on behalf of others. And we're making it worse. We need to care for those we disagree with. We need to see them as people. As Jesus cared deeply for Judas and longed for him to turn back. And not to be so isolated that he takes his own life. Who needs our compassion, not anger? And maybe there is a need for us to submit rather than use force for a greater good. Now, submitting or giving way is a difficult concept, so just some real practical things. Men and women are called in the Bible to submit to one another. Men and women in the Bible are called to love one another. But submitting or giving way is something that we don't do if we're the gatekeeper or the doorkeeper to protect the vulnerable. If we have a couple of children behind us, we stand firm. That doesn't mean we draw a sword and escalate it, but sometimes we stand firm rather than give way when we are protecting the vulnerable. But we make sure we don't escalate. So giving way isn't always letting aggression have its way if we are those who have the care of others. But we do need to give way when the only person put out is self. We mustn't stand on our rights because maybe we will change people more by surrendering our will and laying down and turning the other cheek. But giving way is not the same as acceptance. There may be things that people are asking or demanding of us that are wrong, and we need to remove ourselves from that kind of abuse. And we need to seek 
mutually giving way relationships. In other words, be in relationship with people where we're both saying to the other, not my will, but yours. And we're trying to build a care and a love for each other. Because submission is only given. It cannot be demanded. And if you are in relationship with people who demand submission from you, get out of that relationship. It's abusive. But Jesus gives way. He chooses in his power and in his uh, strength to allow them to arrest him and to take him. And maybe God asks of us that we submit rather than use force for a greater good. Where might God be asking us to let go of our rights or agenda? Do we escalate? Do we change sides quickly because we've discovered one thing that we disagree on? Or do we follow the way of Jesus? And with gentleness and grace, we seek to rebuild and transform. I'm going to ask Sam to come and lead us for a few minutes. And uh, I want to pray. Let's stand together. Lord, we bring to you all the hurt that we experience and all the damaging and broken relationships and all the things that are painful. And we place it in your hands and say, Lord, have mercy. In your grace, come. We want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. We want to be people who transform through mercy and forgiveness, not aggression and force. We bring to you the people we're angry with. Name them quietly before you and ask for your mercy. We bring to you the people groups that we're suspicious of and fearful of and worried about. We bring to you the issues that cause us to be angry. And we put it all in your hands. Help us not to escalate, but to build bridges and make peace. And Lord, where it is that we need to give way, help us. Where it is that we need to stand firm, guide us. Where it is that we need to leave, help us. As we respond together, will you lead us by your Holy Spirit? Amen.